felt like I was in a spiritual desert. I was wandering the desert and I was trying to find ways to connect with my spiritual self for a really long time. It certainly has been, you know, a bumpy road getting there, but sobriety has allowed me to really address those core issues of like, why am I not being an authentic person? Why am I not being authentic for myself? Why am I not being authentic for the people in my life? Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. This is a show where we provide experience, strength, and hope through interviews with members of the recovery community. The show is not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, although you may hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning. I am doing very well this morning. How are you, Mike? Oh, never better. Uh, it's March 5th, and um, as usual, we have a guest. Uh, would like to welcome Karen S. from Philadelphia to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Mike and Lee. It's great to have you on the show. So we typically get started with the reading of the Daily Reflection podcast, but before we get there, would you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Um, so hello, audience. Uh, my name is Karen. Um, I've lived in the Philly area for almost 10 years now. Um, I um, am a writer by profession, and um, I have been sober for close to two years now. So um, I'm just grateful for every day that I have in sobriety. It's just, it's changed my whole life. So I'm really grateful to be here and to be able to share my story. We're glad you're here, Karen. Um, would you like to kick us off by reading the Daily Reflection for March 5th? Sure thing. So March 5th, a lifelong task. But just how in these circumstances does a fellow take it easy? That's what I want to know. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 26. I was never known for my patience. How many times have I asked, why should I wait when I can have it all right now? Indeed, when I was first presented the 12 steps, I was like the proverbial kid in a candy store. I couldn't wait to get to step 12. It was surely just a few months work, or so I thought. I realize now that living the 12 steps of AA is a lifelong undertaking. So true. So true. So how does this resonate with you? Um, so it's it's very funny that this is the um, daily reflection for today because I, and I have to laugh because this is just the theme of my life right now. I even told, you know, friends of mine, both in and outside of the rooms that I feel like I've entered this phase of my life where the universe and my higher power, whatever that is, is up there trying, you know, I, I feel like different seasons of my life, there, there are different lessons I need to learn. And right now I'm in a season where I need to learn patience. I've been described many things as many things in my life, but patience is not an attribute that most people would, would give to me. In fact, I'm quite the opposite. Um, and I'm always one of those people that I have to have it done now. I have to get whatever I need now. Like I need to do it now. I've always been very impatient with just everything in my life. And that includes myself. So right now I feel like I'm in a season of my life and, and especially in a season of my sobriety where I need to learn to practice patience, not just with other people and outside situations that I might be dealing with, but most importantly, patience with myself. Because as I work through these 12 steps, and believe me, like I'm not even through like the 12 steps right now, like I'm still working my way through them the first time around. And I, I keep getting all flustered with myself, like, why am I not moving faster? Why am I not progressing faster through this program? What What's taking me so long? And 
I, I, I just have to remind myself, like, you know, I can't, you know, force myself through this program and I can't rush myself through this program. It's going to take time, you know, if I really want to practice the, the program and the steps in a way that is most meaningful to me and my recovery. So that I just, I feel like this is all really fitting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think you're speaking to a large audience of people that probably feel very similarly at the moment. I mean, me included, you know, I think one of the things that my sponsor told me early on was, you know, care for what you pray for. And patience was something that I prayed for early on. And boy, did I get did I get ample opportunity to uh, to practice patience? I resonate with that 110%. What I will often tell people is that sobriety has, yes, sobriety has absolutely changed my life in so many ways. And it was one of the catalysts for many huge changes in my life. And because of all those huge changes, kind of like avalanching one after another, you know, I've had to, you know, be able to have a few moments where I can step back and be like, okay, like take a deep breath. It's okay. Everything, you know, everything's going to work out. You just have to be patient with the results as they come out. So even when I'm in a situation or I'm, or if I'm dealing with something in my life where I'm just like, I just want to be over with this already. I just want to be done. I, I have to be patient, not just with that, but with myself, as I said. And, you know, and I think, Having to go through sobriety in the middle of a pandemic on top of everything else going on in my personal life has really like reinforced that need to have patience with oneself. To that point, you know, as, as I've been going through all these changes in sobriety and like learning all of these new things about myself that I never would have thought to consider while I was drinking actively and, and you know, active in my alcoholism. I have to give myself time to really like absorb, like, is this who I really am? Is this, you know, what I'm really experiencing? Is this how I'm really feeling? Like, what am I feeling? How am I feeling? I have to always be like, you know, asking myself those questions, but also like being gentle with myself. That's been a huge lesson for me too. It's not just being patient, but being gentle. And that in itself has just been, you know, a, a game changer for me, honestly. And something else that I've been thinking about a lot lately too, which I think just goes right along with this whole reflection is I actually had a mentor in college years and years ago who she was absolutely wonderful. And like, she was, has, she was supportive and she still is supportive of me to this day, which is just really lovely. Um, but I remember complaining to her one day about like, oh, this classmate, like they got into this graduate program and I haven't gotten accepted to mine yet. And, you know, this person got these grades and blah, blah, blah. And she stopped me right there and said, Karen, take a deep breath and remember that you need to measure yourself and your progress in life by your own yardstick, not everyone else's. And that stuck with me even to this day. And I have to like remind myself of that constantly. You know, I'm always wanting to compare some, you know, myself to others, not just in the program, but just in life. Like I'll look at other people and be like, oh, they're doing so much better than me. Oh, they're so much farther in their step work than I am. And I have to stop myself and be like, my progress does not have to be perfect. We say in the program all the time, progress, not perfection. And I have to remind myself that every day and remind myself that, you know, where I am in my journey is exactly where I need to be. And if I were to impart one thing to someone who is early in recovery, like that's, that's exactly what I would say to them. Like you do not have to rush this and it's okay if it's, if you take a long time, even if it feels frustrating. 
So you're saying so much, uh, so many beautiful things, Karen. And um, one of the gifts of recovery that I found is this reconnection. And I don't even know if it's a reconnection, a connection to my own self, like this ability to understand myself, to know what I feel, to know what I think, and then to have compassion for myself, which then allows me to extend it to others. What was your life like before you started on this path of recovery? My life before sobriety was a life of, if I were to choose one word, it was inauthenticity. When I first got sober, you know, I entered therapy and like one of the first sessions with my therapist, she said, as we work together, what we really need to address before anything else is your, your need to live a more authentic life. She said, you're not, you know, you're telling me a lot of things about your life that like, you're not willing to share with others. You're not willing to open your heart and share, share those things about yourself with other people because of fear and of, you know, shame and of all these other things. And she said, let's work together to try to get you to a place where not only are you living a more authentic life for yourself and, and among other people, but also to come to a place where you actually can look in the mirror and say, you know what? I like this person. I love this person. Even I, I love myself and I accept myself. She said, I want to get you to a point where you're like starting to reach that. And it certainly has been, you know, a bumpy road getting there, but sobriety has allowed me to really address those core issues of like, why am I not being an authentic person? Why am I not being authentic for myself? Why am I not being authentic for the people in my life? Working through that and, you know, coming to terms with the things I needed to be open with myself and others about, it really changed my life to be able to address those and and finally start opening up, you know, like as, as part of this you know, journey, I was able, for example, to come to the conclusion that I'm lesbian. That was something that I was so scared of acknowledging within myself. And for many, many years, I lived this life where I tried to pass as straight. And I mean, I would tell people that were closest to me, like, yes, I, I identify as queer, but I lived this facade where I just totally hid myself from the world basically. And I, and I lied to myself for a really long time. And I think that really spurred on my drinking, honestly, or one of the many things that spurred on my drinking was this desire to hide those feelings within myself and to deny those feelings and to deny myself real happiness. And for me, part of being, you know, happy with myself and happy with my life is, you know, being able to be honest about who I am. And I was so scared to come out for such a long time for so many reasons. But when I finally did, it was so freeing. And I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And I have recovery to thank for that. I have sobriety to thank for that. Because when I stopped drinking and I put down the bottle, I finally started asking myself those hard questions. And I finally started saying to myself, you know, why are you hiding? Why are you still in the closet? Why haven't you told your mom that you've had these feelings for a long time. Why haven't you told your friends? Like, why Why haven't you told yourself? Like, it, it's just been a, a journey of discovery more than anything. Like, being able to finally address those hard questions within myself and to be open and honest about where I'm at in sobriety and in life has just been so liberating. And I, again, I have, I have sobriety and I have the program to thank for that. So amazing and so true. I mean, you know, I learned early on in the in the program that pain is a touchstone of progress, right? Um, but so is authentism, I've found. It's wonderful to see 
someone in relative new sobriety experiencing this because that's a mark of the program working, right? If you can truly find yourself, it means that you're working the, the steps of the program. Yeah. And even if I'm working them slowly, like it really does feel like watching like molasses run off a spoon or watching paint dry. Like that's what it feels like to me right now. You know, as I work through the program, I'm able to uncover more and more about myself and like come to a healthier understanding of myself and the world. I just want to thank you for your authenticity and your honesty in sharing this story. So many people need to hear it. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that are lost and alone. And alcoholism is probably just one of the things that they're not talking about. And so uh, we need more more of of people like you, Karen. So thank you. I wonder what the what the spiritual fallout of not being true to yourself in the midst of drinking and drugging and whatever else you were doing out there was. What was that like? It was hard. I felt like I was in a spiritual desert. That's like the best way. That's the best analogy I could use. I was in a desert. I was wandering the desert. And I was trying to find ways to connect with my spiritual self for a really long time. You know, I I grew up in a conservative Christian environment, which definitely spurred on the need I felt to not be authentic, you know, because I felt like I had to conform for so many years. And I felt, you know, I was put in this box by the people around me because I was expected to do and say and act a certain way in order to, in order to fit in, in order to be acceptable and in order for, in order for God to save me according to them. So throughout, you know, my early adulthood, as I was active in my drinking, even though I had gotten away from that religious practice, and even though I was like distanced from that toxicity, I still, I I was still keeping myself in that same box for a really long time. And, and I was trying to find ways to like, be more spiritually open and try to find things that fit for me. And really, it all started to come together when I, like I said, I put down the bottle and started really asking myself the hard questions. Like, why am I still in this box? Like, why am I limiting myself? You know, why am I not opening myself to other possibilities for my life, because my life does not have to be this way. You know, I'm so miserable right now. Like, why, why am I allowing that? Why am I permitting myself to live this miserable life? And it's funny, because part of the reason I even considered going to AA was because I was addressing some health issues a couple of years ago. And, you know, my doctor, he had asked me like, you know, what's your drink? What are your drinking habits like? And, and I was like, well, well, you know, I was, of course, I was trying to like, downplay it because I knew deep down that I had problematic drinking habits. But I was like, oh well, I'll have a drink like, you know, at dinner every day, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, that's that's not good. And like he was pretty upfront with me. Like he he said to me, you know, as you go through this, you know, process with, you know, with us for to address these medical issues, he said, later down the road, I would normally tell a patient like, hey, you might be able to have glass of champagne to toast at a wedding or like something else at a special occasion. But he said, in your case, I would tell you that you should never pick up a drink ever again. Because if you do and you continue drinking the way you've been drinking, you're going to die. And at first that did not sink in with me. And it took a couple more times of meeting with him and him telling me, no, really, you will die if you keep drinking this way for it to actually resonate. And I remember that first meeting, he told me like, have you considered going to AA? And I immediately just put my guard up and said, absolutely not. I I had this impression that 
AA was just very mired in old Christian belief systems. And I, I just had this conception of AA that, you know, wasn't necessarily accurate because of, you know, whatever. And I was just like, no, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. I, I don't vibe with that. And he's like, okay. Like <laughs> he just was like, okay, well I consider, I, I, I would urge you to consider maybe like, you know, looking into like some sort of like support group or something, even if AA isn't it. When I finally months later went to that same doctor and, you know, said, look, I, I acknowledge now that I have a problem that I need to address. I, I thought he was going to give me a huge lecture. I thought he was going to like, you know, tell me what's what and be like, you know, I told you so, but he didn't. He showed me the utmost compassion in that moment. And he said, I know that you are struggling right now. And I know this is hard for you to like, to be able to come to me and say this. And he, and I remember him telling me, you're, I'm not an expert in addiction, but you know, I, I want to try to connect you to the resources that will help you. And of course, you know, his team had recommended AA, which is why I showed up in the rooms a couple of days later. So, you know, and that's where my, my journey began. You know, in my service program, I work with uh, the cooperation with the professional community committee of the Southeastern Pennsylvania area intergroup. And we get the opportunity to talk to doctors and to talk to pre-med students and bring them to AA meetings. And um, I'm kind of hoping that the person that you talk to, the professional that you talk to had the benefit of that because uh, it's beautiful that they, they pointed you in that direction. So powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think along those lines, I think, you know, if I were to like, you know, if somebody were to come to me and say, Hey, like, I'm struggling with this problem, you know, I'm struggling with drinking. Like, do you have any advice or any resources or anything like that? Or, you know, or any, or even someone who's new to AA. And if I were to like heart any wisdom to them, you know, the, the first thing I would say is keep an open mind. Years and years and years ago, I went on this trip to California. It was like my first big trip. I went out, it was like a student trip and we spent two weeks out in California, one week in um, Yosemite national park. And the second week we spent just outside of San Francisco. It was a formative trip for me. And I remember one of our group leaders during the first week, which was in Yosemite, I remember my group leader saying to our group, and this is all a bunch of like 12 year olds, middle school kids. I remember her saying to us, remember that your mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. And that's just another like metaphor that I've, that's just has stuck with me all of my life is just keeping open mind. And, you know, if I hadn't opened my mind to AA and what it can do for me in recovery, I wouldn't be here having this very lovely conversation with you. So I'm just grateful that I was able to keep an open mind and that I was able to come to these rooms say, I remember even my first meeting, I soap and said, Hey, I'm new here. I'm an alcoholic. I don't, I, I don't trust that. You know, I, I said, I don't believe I, I'm not sure if this program is for me. I don't know if this is going to work for me, but I know that I have a problem and I need help for it. So that's why I'm here. And just by acknowledging that and just acknowledging my own doubts while still keeping an open mind changed my life. So you know, I would just implore all people who are new to recovery or considering sobriety to just keep an open mind. And, you know, and again, you know, be patient with yourself, like keep an open mind, be patient with yourself and know that, you know, healing is not always linear and that you will, you know, you will get to a place like, you know, 
you can be your best self and your most authentic self. Um, and you know, the program, at least for me, the program has helped me, has been helping me get to that point. That's lovely. I'm just curious, do you still identify as an atheist? I mean, not, I mean, kind of, sort of, not really. Um, I definitely, I definitely believe that there is a higher power out there that, you know, whether it be the universe or, you know, lately I've been saying that, you know, I, I sometimes joke with my friends that, you know, I, I pick my higher power based on, you know, what I need for the day. And, you know, I sometimes, it, and I, I like to think of like, you know, sometimes music and TV icons is like my higher power just because they have been like role models for me in my life. So like, you know, I'll sometimes say like, Oh, I'm going to have a chat with Cher about that today. Like I'm going to, I'm going to talk to Stevie Nicks cause I'm, I'm a huge like Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac fan. So like, I, you know, I'm always joking about like, Oh, so-and-so is my higher power today, you know, cause they exhibit qualities that I want to like imbue but as you know on a serious note like i do believe there is some sort of like force out there whether it be the universe or you know what have you that um is looking out for me and is trying to nudge me in the right direction like hey like maybe you should check this out and i think that also influences like my intuition and you know my ability to sense certain things like if if something comes up and it's a red flag like i know now to listen to that red flag Cause there have been times in my life where I haven't paid attention to the red flags in my life. And that was part of the reason why I wound up in the rooms. So, you know, I, I, I think there is something out there that is like looking out for all of us and, you know, that's what I need today. And, you know, that's what I need every day. So that, that's my answer in a nutshell. That's great. I, I was just curious and in, in light of all of that, and I love the idea of channeling the energy of the higher power that you need for that day. Like that's, I'm, I'm stealing that. Um, <laughs> in light of all of that, that you just talked to us about how your higher power shows up in, in your world today. And, and this is March. So these, these daily reflections generally refer to the third step. How does turning your will and your life over to the care of God, as you understand him work for you? How does that, how do you practice that today? I, I think it all ties back to that idea in, in the daily reflection about patience and being patient with oneself. And I think part of practicing patience is, you know, turning one's will over to your higher power, whether that be the universe or, or share. Um, but, you know, it, being able to sit back and say, you know what, like, I don't have full control over this situation, or I don't, I might not have all the facts, or I, I just might need a little time for myself to kind of, you know, sit and reflect and absorb what's going on. Um, you know, it, all that ties back into patience and just, you know, stepping back and, and knowing that, you know, things will work out and things will be okay. And, you know, in turning my will over to my higher power, you know, on a daily basis and saying, you know what, what will be, will be, I just got to take it as it comes and, and address things as they come, you know, Knowing, having that trust that things will work out, even if it doesn't feel like it'll work out, has gotten me through and has, has kept me sober yet another day. Well, Karen, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been inspirational, to say the least. Thank you for having me, Mike and Lee. I really appreciate you inviting me. Thank you for coming. It's been amazing. Loved it.